0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Arena. I'm your host Greg Sindelar. I'm pleased to be joined today by our good friend, State Senator Mays Middleton. Mays, thanks for joining us. Thank here you for today. having me on today. So it's gonna be super easy. It's gonna be the easiest interview maybe you'll you'll have uh, all year, hopefully. Um, but I think we just wanted to get the whole purpose is just get to know you a little bit, get to understand what it's like being a lawmaker here in Texas and some of the things that are happening, especially in this special session that's happening. But let's start maybe. Kind of how you got into this world, right? And so, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and you know, growing up, and and what made you want to become a state rep and now a state senator.
1: Well, you know, I've got four little ones at home. Macy and I are blessed with uh, twins that are nine and a. Uh, Six-year-old and then now a two-year-old little girl that's got me wrapped around (laughs) That's where all your money goes. (laughs) Yes, I'm never gonna say no, you know never gonna say no But you know, it's that reminder of what we're fighting for that next generation, right because you know We're charged with leaving it better than we found it and you know, I've been involved in the conservative movement for many years I was on the board of TPPF before I was ever elected, you know, and it's about putting those values that were fought for, like in San Jacinto, uh, which is actually in the Senate District on uh, April the 21st, 1836, into action, right? So the same individual liberties that our founding fathers fought for are the same things we're fighting for today because, you know, if, if good people do nothing, evil wins, right? So that's the exact same thing we're fighting for today, that faith, family, and freedom that the state was really founded on, and uh, freedom isn't free. You know, it, it requires eternal vigilance and we are the vigilant. Uh, and that's one of the things that first got me involved is look, we need to make sure uh, that this state is strong and prosperous and we hold true to those conservative values that we're founded on,
0: so. Amen. That's that, that's, that's what got you started. So what what keeps you going? Because it's, it's not easy, right? You you spend a lot of time away from your family, a lot of time away from your, your, your business interests. You know, what what is it that keeps you in the fight?
1: What has to sustain you in that fight is my faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I don't have the strength internally. Um, I have to rely on His strength in order to uh, really sustain us in this long-term fight. Uh, and to me, that's my personal faith. Uh, that's what keeps me going. Um, that's the conviction that's on my heart uh, to do what's right. You know, it's it's do the right thing and leave the results to God. Yep. Right, it's real simple. Um, and so that's what sustains me in this fight. Of course, uh, Macy's with me the whole way. Uh, family's very important to me, and she believes the same things I do. Um, and is really the rock of our family and uh, encourages me in, in all of these many things that we're doing. You know, school choice is one of them. That's one of the things that's near and dear to her heart and mine. Uh, and it's actually one of the things that first got me involved. In um, conservative policy and, and politics is, is trying to see why the state of Texas did not have school choice yeah and I hope in the next month or so we're about to change that you know and, and have school choice for every child you know because parents matter our rights as parents are from God and not government and uh, it's a fight that we need to win for yeah. next generation so
0: well, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, you had a great op-ed in Dallas Morning News where you kind of reminded everyone, right? Like our, our rights don't come from the legislature. They, they, they come from our, our Savior, right? And they come from God. And, and so can you talk a little bit about what's happening uh, from your perspective in the school choice fight here in Texas? But also uh, I would be interested in your thoughts on more broadly what's happening around the country because it seems like it's definitely something that's caught fire a little bit.
1: There has been an awakening of parents. I mean, you've seen it all over the country in about 31 states that have some form of school choice right now. Uh, Virginia is really a Democrat state and it went Republican over parental rights. I mean, we've all heard of uh, Glenn Youngkin and Winsome Sears, their lieutenant governor. Uh, It's great, by the way, I heard the other day. Um, But you know, at the end of the day, this is just about parents. And it's about letting them decide what's best for their own child's unique needs. And, And I'll never forget um, and 2017 was really the last time we had a big push. It was Senate Three. III. Um, and I wasn't elected then. I was, you know, I was just there supporting it as a citizen, as a uh, taxpayer, as a parent. Um, and the committee room was loaded with taxpayer-funded lobbyists. And it was offensive to me that our own tax dollars were being used to lobby against parents. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the main opposition to this. Is this is taxpayer-funded lobbyists. And I'll give you a little example. So, this session there was a bill as by Senator Parker, I believe, and I can't remember the Senate bill number. But it said if a child has been sexually abused or groomed uh, mm-hmm. in a public school, then they get open enrollment school choice or private school choice. Well, the taxpayer-funded lobbyists opposed that. So they wanted to trap these kids in that horrible situation and not let them have school choice when they need it the most. And that really shows you kind of what we're up against here in this fight, you know, and it really does come down to trusting parents. And in Texas, you know, we need to send a strong message and I expect that we will to say, we trust every Texas parent, not just some, but every Texas parent decide what's best for their child.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, the polling continues to go in our direction, even the polls where they're oversampling the left, right, you know, it's, everyone is in favor, except for white Democrats, it looks like, everyone is in favor of, of uh, school choice and empowering parents in this state. And so it feels like, you know, Phil Graham always used to say, you know, never underestimate an idea whose time has come, it feels like finally, the time has come in Texas, and we're kind of on that precipice of Finally, getting across the, the board where, where parents can fully be in charge and be the main uh, arbiter of their kids' education.
1: I've never seen this amount of momentum before for it, and you know, I've always supported it, but I've never really seen this amount of groundswell where people are demanding it. Because look, I mean, if you don't see yourself as a Panhandle parent, or a East Texas parent, or a coastal parent, you know, or a Rio Grande Valley parent, you just see yourself as mom. Or dad, yep. right? We don't, parents don't identify as a rural parent or urban parent. They're just mom, they're just dad, and they just want what's best for their own child. And that's what School Choice does for them is it provides those tools for those that don't have them right now. We're putting them on the table. You don't have to use them. Um, mm-hmm. It's up to you. You, know, you. About 80, 90% will remain in their public school, very happy with their public school. We've got a lot of great public schools, a lot of great public school teachers, but it doesn't work for everyone. And what about them? And that's really what this comes down to. Uh, I'll give you a little story, Uh, Upward Hope Academy is in Galveston and it takes the dropouts and soon to be dropouts from Ball High. So these are kids that really would have had about a 0% graduation rate and they're graduating nearly 100%. 100%. It's all low income. It's all low income families and students. And the school actually told me, so the old superintendent told me, if Upward Hope closed down our ratings would go down because we know we can't graduate those kids. So it's not, you know, fighting or in opposition. It's working together and a rising tide lifts all boats. So school choice will not just help um, you know, the particular children that are going to private school or home school. It'll also help public schools as well. I mean we've seen that in real world example, you know, with Everett Hope Academy uh, right in my backyard. So I expect to see more stories like that uh, once we pass school choice for every parent and every child.
0: We're gonna get there, and you see that in every state, right? That education, public, private, uh, the the outcomes improve. You know, Florida, Arizona, Indiana. You know, they are they are improving, right? That's right. And so, I think your your statement about it rises, it lifts all boats, is absolutely spot on. And so, kind of just uh, hanging on that for a moment. What do you say to all the superintendents and all those folks who are saying, you know, this is going to decimate my public school, maybe it's a rural school, it's it's going to take funding away, we don't have enough funding, um, you know, what, what are What are your, uh, what's your response to those arguments? It's not going to do that. You know, this is a funding stream that's outside of our public school
1: formula, so 100% of public school students will be 100% funded under any form of school choice that's been proposed under the current one it's about 500 million dollars is the cap on the expenditure you know and we're right now we're spending about 93.5 billion dollars on public schools in the state of Texas so i mean you can see 500 million over that is what, a half of 1%? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, that's not defunding anything. Uh, And we are standing up in a big way for our public schools. You know, we've got teacher pay raises on the agenda. Uh, We did a lot for school security this session. We increased the yield for golden pennies, which is basically the tax yield that uh, the state allows under the funding formulas, so the entitlement formulas. So there's a lot that's been done this session. And look, we just, this is only about, parents deciding what's best. This yeah. is not taking away from anyone. This is adding. This is adding tools to on the table. This is opening the door for families who don't have these options without an education savings account, school choice program. So we're opening that door for Texas families.
0: Absolutely. And so I want to go back. You, you were talking about taxpayer-funded lobbying, something that we've looked at a lot here at TPPF. I know something you're very passionate about, but probably most people don't understand maybe how Austin works and how the the lobby world around Austin works and how much money counties and cities and school districts, et cetera, are spending to lobby um, uh, t- the, the legislature. Uh, maybe against the interests of the constituents that they represent back home. Can you kind of, you know, maybe pull back the shroud a little bit on on how this works and and why it's something that we've got to rein in here in Texas?
1: Yes. Taxpayer-funded lobbying is an egregious and unethical practice where your own tax dollars are being used against you as a taxpayer and as a parent. And, you know, it's really for speech too, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of private companies have lobbyists, right? But you don't... You don't have to go shop at Target, for example. Yep. You don't have to go buy Bud Light if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to do if you don't agree, say, with a city or a county or school district that's using your tax dollars to do something like oppose school choice or oppose property tax relief? Well, you quit paying your taxes, and what happens? You know, Someone c- shows up with a badge and gun to seize your property, yeah. right? So I mean, it is forced speech. You don't get a choice in it. This is forced speech by taxpayers, and at the end of the day, too, it's opposing the values that... Most Texans hold dear, right? I mean, you know, they oppose election integrity. Uh, I'll never forget when the taxpayer-funded lobbyists, they opposed the ban on a state income tax, which I think 75% of Texans disagreed with the taxpayer-funded lobbyist position. So that really tells you that they're badly out of step with their own voters. And it makes sense because guess where the taxpayer-funded lobbyists live and work? Here in Austin. So they do actually probably represent Austin values pretty well, they just don't, do a good job representing the rest of Texas's values. And it's something that we need to end. It's a waste of taxpayer money. You know, it's our job to represent our constituents directly, right? So, I mean, you're not hearing the state say, oh, look, there are 1,200 school districts. We need to hire lobbyists to send uh, someone in to go lobby 1,200 school districts. So the state doesn't do that because we know that's our job as state representatives, uh, state senators, to keep up with what's going on and be that voice for who elected us in Austin, and it works the same way in local government, where they're elected to be the voice of the same people that elected state reps and state senators. You know? So we need to represent our constituents directly without this Austin lobbyist middleman. And that's why we need to end taxpayer-funded lobbying.
0: Amen. So, obviously, it's been something that's been tried many times. You've carried lots of bills on this. Can, what do you think will ultimately um, bring this to fruition? Well, I mean, and one, one of the things change. you're seeing
1: right now is what's happening with School Choice, where, you know, it's been so hard to get done because of those taxpayer funded lobbyists in the way. And I, I also get the question, you know, why is it so hard to pass property tax relief and reform? Well, one of the big reasons is that, you know, our own tax dollars were used to lobby against property tax relief and reform. So they're lobbying essentially for higher taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's outrageous. Uh, and the more people that know about it, the more people are outraged, you know, so, I mean, it's really a, a wrong practice. It's, it's unethical. And I think you're really seeing that coming to a head, especially with school choice right now, where uh, parents, you know, our voices are being drowned out. And look, you know, I, I saw it in committee where moms and dads who want this are in committee and they're there, they're, they're sacrificing, they're not at work, they're not getting paid, they're there because they believe in it. And they're having to compete with this room full of taxpayer-funded lobbyists that are paid with their own tax dollars to oppose them. That's not right and that's not fair. Yep,
0: that's right. So let's look a little bit at your district, right? So you represent uh, kind of this swath, a very interesting part of Texas right along the coast, outskirts of of Houston, uh, Angleton, you know, this very, you know, I'd say diverse part of, of Texas. When you are talking to your constituents, what are the things that they're telling you, like, hey, this is what's most important to me, this is what I'm expecting you to get done in Austin?
1: Baytown to Angleton, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's about a million people in the district. I'll tell you one of the biggest things that I've heard in the last year is property taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are tired of their rent to the government going up. Uh, please vote yes on Proposition <laughs> 4, which is on the ballot right now, that will help with that. Uh, you know, to eliminate about a quarter of people's school taxes, their MO school taxes, which is really important to do because that will permanently eliminate that. Uh, but really, I mean, that, that's one of the biggest issues that I've heard in the, last, in the last year in the district. And it's been the most, I guess, uh, common wherever you are, whether it's Brazoria County, Harris County, or Galveston County, it's kind of all the same where we want and demand property tax relief. And look, it's just letting people keep more of their own money. Government doesn't have any money. It's all taxpayer money. Um, so that's one of the top goals of mine and always has been to make sure that we let taxpayers or require that taxpayers keep more of their own money in their own pocket because it's not government's money, it's their money.
0: Absolutely. and so. What do you do about maybe the local governments that eat up a lot of the savings that the the state is passing on? Whether it's the homestead exemptions or are the compression that the state is providing, you know, a lot of these locals see it as a chance to kind of right. you know soak a lot of that up. You know, right. so what are the things maybe the legislature sh- should be looking at or is looking at to kind of address that that issue?
1: We have a local government debt crisis, and there is no such thing as a free bond or a no tax increase bond. Somebody's paying for it and that somebody is the taxpayer. So one of those big problems that we've got is non-voter approved debt, right? And that's legislation that I've filed before. I know Senator Betancourt has as well. And in the House, Uh, Representative Burroughs did this past session also. And we've got to address that because a lot of local government debt, which is a good portion of your property tax bill, is not even approved by the voters. And unfortunately what it's turned into is sort of a runaround on property tax relief where I've heard from bond council before for local government where they calculate say what compression's gonna be, that's where we're buying down the school rate, and they kind of see what the state's gonna buy down on the rate and then how much they can issue to sort of eat that up in, in debt and yeah. bonds. So they what the basically the game is is look, okay, say we're getting 10 cents in reduced rate because of the state buying down school M and O taxes. let's issue five cents worth of debt and then still say that we're lowering the rate. It's like, yeah, but you could have lowered it 10 cents, not just five, if you hadn't issued those bonds. So that's a game that we're seeing played right now that we have to stop because the ones that lose in that game are the taxpayer.
0: Yep, absolutely. And Looking at your district, something that's unique that I think an issue your district faces is the prospects of off- offshore wind. You know, we, we TPPF, we have a lawsuit against offshore wind farm up in uh, the Northeast and, and, and Vineyard area, but the Biden administration is looking at doing this off the coast of, of Galveston. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what is happening with that and, and you know, and how? we might stop things like that in uh, in Texas?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been opposed to this ridiculous Green New Deal boondoggle since day one. I mean, it's a it's an absurd idea, you know, and it's not just the cost. It's, you know, I've heard from stakeholders in both Freeport and Port of Houston, where this could negatively impact uh, the Houston Ship Channel and the Houston Ship Channel is one trillion dollars per year in economic activity. So you think about this, these things have not been tested for category five hurricanes, which we get all the time on the Texas Gulf Coast, and if these are floating, you know, and, and tethered, cabled like they said they wanted to do, where's the debris going to end up? Yep. It's going to end up in the Houston Ship Channel, you know, and that could cause us to lose one of our greatest economic assets, at least for a period of time that, you know, I mean, it's $100 million an hour of commerce going in and out of that. Yep. He's, and the same thing with the Port of Freeport, you know, they, they're they worried about it too. and. We don't need this, you know, that's been one of our biggest problems in the state is that we don't have enough dispatchable power. One power is not dispatchable. Yeah. We need to make sure that we have enough dispatchable, reliable base, base, load generation, because we need the lights to be on all of the time. Uh, we don't just need power some of the time, you <laughs> yes. know, and wind and solar provides it some of the time. And, you know, it's stakeholders are against this. Um, uh, everyone I've talked to. On the island, doesn't want to see this happen. Uh, and I'm happy to say that the Biden administration put this out for bid. So they were leasing the basically the lease blocks to build this and not one company bid on it zero. Oh, wow. That's how many bids they got on it. None. That's good news. It. Yeah, it was good news. So I think the message has been received loud and clear that Texas is not about to pay for Biden's Green New Deal.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. And, you know, it's unfortunate Texas has to spend so much time pushing back against uh, an administration that really is the antithesis to everything we we stand for, right? Like from things like this to the border, uh, et cetera. We also see a lot of these things, you know, seep into uh, our culture, right? And a lot, I think a lot of that happens through higher education. And, and where, you know, if you want to talk about maybe things happening in K-12 schools, well, those teachers are being taught, you know, in our institutions of higher learning. Um, you've been uh, very vocal and, and leading on a lot of the higher ed reforms that we've seen, especially this last session, probably some of the, the biggest ones we've had in a long time in Texas. Um, but, you know, obviously, we passed, you know, banning DEI. We've done some reform to... Uh, to tenure, we've um, been looking at some accreditation reform, things of that nature, which you've led on. Um, you know, how do we return our universities back to serving their purpose, which is you know creating an educated populace and celebrating intellectual diversity, not pushing you know anti-Israel, pro-Hamas stuff on everybody, or getting into the DEI stuff where we're we're looking at people's uh, innate characteristics over what they're able to actually achieve.
1: Right, yeah, I mean, you, we saw it recently where, you know, uh, with what happened, you know, where a lot of universities refused to condemn Hamas and the terrorist attacks. I mean, there were um, 10 members of Congress that voted no. On yep. the re- one of them was represents the area I represent, you know, and and, and L- literally voted no on yeah. the resolution which is sad you know sad state of affairs but look America is built on a quality of opportunity mm-hmm. not a quality of outcome right Equality of outcome is socialism that's where everyone's equal at the end no we're we're built on equality of opportunity that's what we're founded on and that's what we stand for and unfortunately DEI is the opposite of that it's the quality of outcome which is not what this country was founded on at all, because we need to be colorblind and gender neutral, and DEI is not that. Mm-hmm. You know, and we achieve academic or we get academic excellence through achievement. That's how you do that, and that's merit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to put in the hard work, you know, and that needs to be rewarded. You know, merit—it merit matters. You know, and it's the opposite of merit when you're talking about DEI because academic performance has nothing to do with that. Yep. You know. I think that's why SB 17 and SB 18 were so important this past session.
0: Yep, I think you're absolutely right. And you look at it even seeps into the private sector. You know, if if you're hiring airline pilots or doctors or whatever because of their 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 skin color or their sexual orientation or whatever, that as a consumer that doesn't give me a lot of. Uh, 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 it doesn't give me a lot of comfort right you know because I want to make sure the plane lands and I want to make sure the surgery goes well I don't really care about any of those other characteristics and we're kind of losing sight of achievement and merit it seems like in the country.
1: And I've always been a big supporter of our community colleges because Mm -hmm. I always say look I mean they're not teaching 19th century Russian literature classes at our community colleges you know it's it's they shouldn't be (laughs) it's (laughs) career-based skills right I mean that that almost always result in a a a career right not just a good job but a good career Um, and our community colleges right now are limited uh in five four-year degrees that they can offer i think it should be as many as they want yeah right and and they're in the community Uh, they largely represent maybe not always but largely represent the community's values Um, it's close to home and i see the benefits of that because I'm blessed with five community colleges in the district and I see their contribution firsthand uh, to our industry. Like Exxon has had a partnership with Lee College for I guess over 80 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's amazing to see the benefits of that and that's what we need to do more of and yeah. not less of.
0: Yeah, well and I think some of the changes y'all made in this legislature where getting more outcomes-based funding for community colleges will ensure that that continues and that they continue to serve the needs of the communities. Right. That's
1: right. you know, and, and that was a huge change. I'm also a big fan of the dual credit. Yeah. Um, so that, that puts kids in, in high school on a path to, I hope, uh, for post-secondary success, whether that's starting at the community college and then going to a traditional four-year college. Uh, but it's great because the state has never done that before. The state has never paid for dual credit. Uh, ever and so for the first time in history the state of texas is, is not just paying for it, but encouraging it uh, And it, it before it depended on which district so some districts they would cover a hundred percent of the dual credit Costs others zero it yeah. just depended on which district So I think this is important because it keeps the kids on that pipeline the students mm-hmm. on that pipeline for post-secondary success and hopefully uh, more career-based tools and you know becoming a member of the community and providing for their family and having a high paying career and starting a family and owning a home and all the good things that the state and this country is about.
0: Yeah, having a good life. And you know, it's one of the important things about the education savings account programs, right, is the potential to have some workforce development uh, related to that and some, you know, public-public-public-private partnerships that might uh, come about based on, you know, uh, parents seeking those out for their kids and right. stuff like that as well. Right. Yeah. It's
1: critical. You know? And that's the flexibility of an education savings account where keep hearing the word voucher. It's it's, it's not, not a voucher. At all. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, you can use it for private school tuition, of course. I mean, a lot will do that. But mm-hmm. then there's all kind of other things like educational therapies and tutoring. To- mm-hmm. It's totally unbundled and it's up to the parent to decide which things work best for their child's Unique needs, and you know, it qualifies homeschoolers as well. Senate yep. Bill One does, so all all students in Texas are qualified under Senate Bill One. And I hope that's where we end up with this bill. You know, that, that every student is qualified.
0: Yeah, I think that's the important, as you need a universal eligibility. And so, because every kid is unique, and you know, even in the greatest school in the state, there's failing kids, right? Because it's not the right environment for them. And in it's as parents, you're always trying to search for. How how do I find the right thing that's for my kids to help them be successful later in life? Right. And this is part of the flexibility, as, as you stated so well, um, that ESAs can provide for, for parents and put them in charge and give them some skin in the game.
1: I've obviously. got four kids. I know how different <laughs> each one can be. You know, they're certainly not the same. The same thing doesn't work for all of them. Yep. So.
0: Yeah, I have two. They're in different schools, right? They're only a few years apart, but they're in different schools because of that. Well, um, you know, before we wrap up, have just a few last, last questions um, for you. I, I think the f- first one's kind of interesting is this is your first session in the Senate. You served a few sessions in, in the House. Can you kind of talk about the differences between being a, a House member and being a, a, a senator and kind of maybe what surprised you most about going into the Senate this session?
1: Senate's a good place to be a conservative, you know. It's but at the end of the day it's it's what I ran on from day one. It's putting your conservative values into action. You know, I was in the house, I was always ranked as one of the top most conservative members. I think my last session I was number one and now in the Senate I'm in the top three. You know, so it's it's about doing what you said you were gonna do. Mm -hmm. And it's not hard to be ranked that way. You just do what you said you were gonna do. Um, And and it's that fight for our future here where, you know, the four kids that Macy and I have, it's, they're incredible blessings. And I think that probably gives me a different perspective because I think I'm the only one in the Senate that has kids that small. I know I'm the youngest member uh, of the Republican caucus in the Senate. And that's my daily reminder, you know, and Macy and I's daily reminder of what we're fighting for. It's very real, you know, and there's a... We want to make sure that the Texas they grew up in is as great as the Texas that I grew up in, and we continue to make sure that we're the most free and prosperous state in the union. And I also believe in the Tenth Amendment, where <laughs> you know we save America by means of Texas. You know, the federal government is a creation of the states. I seem to forget that sometimes. <laughs> but um, these are the things that we're fighting for here. You know, and I just think that um, at the end of the day, it is leaving it better than we found it. And that's the best thing that we can fight to do, you know, especially you know, remembering that what our founders fought for here, yeah. where you know, everyone had died at the Alamo, everyone had died at Goliad, and yet they persisted. On April the 21st at San Jacinto, when everyone had just died, they were unafraid. They charged into battle, and that's kind of the grit that we still have in the state. And it's the same grit that we have to use to fight for our future here that next generation and make sure that it's the Texas that we know and love and continues to thrive and be really the beacon for the rest of this country.
0: Absolutely. Um, So last question, kind of building off of that, you know, when you were on the board here at TPF, one of the things that you're a big part of was getting our Liberty Leadership Council um, established, which is getting young people involved and engaged, um, not only at what's happening on the state level, but also locally in their community. So I know that's a passion of yours. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about as a conservative movement, how we can do that better. And then m- maybe to finish off, you know, you're a young guy yourself. Um, you got a young family, but you're kind of in this service. So I'd be curious, and I'm sure our listeners would be curious to hear, you know, where do you kind of see all of this going? I know that's kind of a it's not meant to be the loaded question, maybe it is, but I think people are like, they they see somebody so young serving and serving well, they're kind of curious what you might think is in store for you. So, Well, Liberty
1: Leadership Council is a great group, you know, and, and we started it in Houston mm-hmm. uh, several years ago. And, you know, I, I hear from people kind of my age and younger a lot, and the message they get a lot of times is wait your turn, not yet, wait till later. If you have the conviction on your heart to go serve, you need to go listen to that conviction and serve. Don't wait. Mm-hmm. If you want to do it, you need to do it. Of course, you got to be sure about where you stand on things, and that 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 that's for the right reasons as well. But you know it. That you hear it a lot from younger people where there's certainly some pressures to not right to wait. Well, the problem with waiting is you may not want to do it anymore. And second of yeah. all. Um, This whole system is designed to kind of grind people down, right? I mean, and we got to make sure that we have people that have the energy to go fight and we're blessed with a lot of them right now. Uh, But we need to make sure that next generation is willing to do that and will do it. Because look, I mean, if we don't, you know, if if we don't have a next generation on the bench ready to go, we don't have a Texas anymore. So that's why ESAs and school choice are so important too, you know, to make sure that we're pr- providing a high-quality education for the next generation because education's a great equalizer, you know, yeah. and it's it's the way that we achieve that equality of opportunity that this country was founded on. So I think it's really important to have young people involved. I always tell them, um, I didn't know I wanted to run for office <laughs> when I was, you know, in high school or college. A lot of that is figuring out what you don't want to do. Yep. You know, it, it doesn't have to be an automatic. You don't have to know the day you turn 18 what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Uh, a lot of it is finding out uh, what you're not called to do, right? Um, so that's important as well. Uh, like when I talk to groups, you know, they're not really sure. They're like, did you did you know when you were in middle school? You <laughs> I'm like, no. no. <laughs> did you know we're in high school? No. Did you know when you were in college? No. You know, um, it, but it's a calling that that you have to listen to, right? Because I mean, the, the Holy Spirit is involved uh, in, in every decision that, that I make. If I really, truly uh, am following and making sure that it's in God we trust, right? It says mm-hmm. that above the dice in the, in the Texas Senate and in the House, because everything we do has to be on that foundation of in God we trust.
0: What a perfect way to end, Senator Milton. Thank you for joining us. To those of you who who watched this, I hope you enjoyed this. You know, the, the purpose of this is to really understand, you know, what is it that is guiding our elected representatives that are here representing us here in austin so we're blessed to have you with us here today senator milton and and to kind of just you know end on a point you you talked about you know at the at the alamo all seem lost right and then goliad and the massacres and it's just defeat after defeat after defeat right but then in 18 minutes you know texans ch- change the world and i think you know you said this um as this special session started and i believe it that we as texans are currently in our current eighteen minutes and I think we're about to really change Texas for the next generation and appreciate you for leading the charge.
1: Thank you for having me on today. Right. Thanks, so, sir. Yeah, appreciate. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank anytime. you.
0: All right. Thank you all. See you next time.